0: Yeah, I miss it when my family's not here either. They're down in Brighton for some open houses this weekend, and so I always miss it when my wife's not here and my kids. But it is nice to be in the house of God, isn't it? It's nice to be be here where we can be fed and we can be rejuvenated. We need to be here. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning on a topic that I'm really excited about. At the same time, I'm, I'm scared to death of it because this is what we are. This is who we are. But yet it is probably the most debated, difficult-to-talk-about subject that we can talk about. But I'm excited about it this morning. I can't wait to talk about it. Because when I experience this person, (laughs) it gets messy. And it gets fun. And it gets powerful. And when I experience him... It's really good Uh, children can be dismissed for children's church. Is that where you're going? Good job. I thought you were leaving on me there No, okay Children can be dismissed for children's church I want to talk this morning about the Holy Spirit I want to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit And I can think I think this is going to be a, a series for a few weeks I'm not sure how long I never know how long but I think it's going to be a series because there's just too much to talk about in one setting so we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit for as long as he inspires us to speak about him. But being a Pentecostal church, this may be very common to some of you. This may be something that is as natural for you as breathing, as natural for you as getting up in the morning and have a cup of coffee or having breakfast or having orange juice. Or this may be new to you, and this may be something that you've been hungry for for a long time. Or you may be scared to death. Probably all three. If that fits any of you of any realm, either one of those descriptions, raise your hand. Well, now, come on. The ones that didn't raise your hand, what didn't I say? You're either filled with the Holy Spirit and you're excited about this, you're nervous about it because you don't know what to think about it and you want more of it, or you're scared to death. Which one are you? You're one of those three. Now, raise your hand. All right. I just want to make sure you're alive out there. I want to make sure somebody was listening out there. I want to make sure somebody was awake. Wow. All right. The Holy Spirit. I want to talk today about who He is. Who He is. I think we're probably going to talk later about what He is, when He comes, who He comes for, how long is He going to be here for. But today I want to concentrate on who the Holy Spirit is. And I'm going to try to stay as close to that as I can. But I will tell you right now, from my life experiences, and probably yours as well, talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as evidenced through the initial speaking in tongues, is probably one of the most debated and divisive doctrines in the church. It is probably the thing that has more people up on arms, or up on the edge of their seat, or offended by than probably any other topic. So we're going to talk about it. and We're not going to talk it in an offensive way. We're not going to talk about it in a way that's going to create hype. I'm not trying to, to, to create a stir of my own ability or my own hyping because I'm not very good at that. But I am praying that the Holy Spirit has control. I am praying that over the next few weeks as we talk about this, that the Holy Spirit has control of your heart. He has control of your mind. He has control of your ears, that you're hearing what you need to hear and that you'll apply what you need to apply when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I want to talk as much about the Bible as I can, because the Bible is our, is our source. We have to go to the Bible. We have to stay in the Word. So again, there's, I want to talk about four types of people right now as we're kind of introducing the topic. There are those that are, that are filled with the Holy Spirit and are operating in the use of the gifts in their lives and walking in the power thereof. Walking in the power thereof is key to this first group of people These people are solid Christian people. They're not perfect, but they're solid people. They're there. They're committed they're, um, They have a working knowledge of the word. They have a working knowledge of the gift yet. They're humble They're powerful They're prayer warriors They'll do anything for anyone They recognize who Jesus is. They recognize who the Holy Spirit is. And they recognize who the power of the Holy Spirit is. These are the kind of people that the devil is afraid of. These are the kind of people that walk down the street and the devil gets out of their way. These are the kind of people that are not afraid of the devil. These are the kind of people that, that when they speak, it's not because of who they are. It's because of the spirit that's within them. When they speak, the devil runs. There are those like that. Do you know that? We might even have a couple of them in our church. Hopefully more than a couple. But there are people like that. And then there are those that have been filled with the Holy Spirit, with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, back when they were 12 years old. And they refer to that as, yes, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, but I did it. I look back at that day that I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and and that's as far as it goes. They do have the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, but they haven't kept up with it necessarily. They are up and down in their spiritual walk. They get really excited. They get really up, and then they get really down. And when they're up, they're up, and when they're down, they're down. Those are the type of people that you know how to read them. When they're up, they're okay, and when they're down, stay away. Because you don't want to be in that circle of influence when they're not feeling it. And there's a few people like that in this church. And these these are the type of people that really give the Pentecostal experience a bad reputation. These are the people that say, I have it, but don't live in it and don't walk in it. And then there are those that are seeking and just not able to get it. Boy, they love the Lord. They really do. They really love Jesus, and they're just wanting to have more. They're asking for the Holy Spirit, and they're seeking it. But for some reason, they just haven't got it yet. Now, if you're one of those people, there's nothing wrong being in that state. That is the hunger state that Roddy talked about. We have to have that hunger. We have to have that want to, right, Chris? We have to have that I want that attitude. That's, if you're that kind of person, that's a great place to be. Let me encourage you, stay with it. Do not give up in that situation. Do not give up in that desire because you will receive. It is a promise. It is a gift. If you want it, God will give it. Jesus is the baptizer of this Holy Spirit person. And if you're asking for it, Jesus will give it to you. Why he doesn't give it right now, I don't know. But you just keep asking, you just keep seeking, you just keep believing, and he will give you the gift. He will give you the Holy Spirit. More than just your saving knowledge, Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk all about that later. And then there are those here that are just totally opposed to the baptism of the Holy Spirit at all. They say, I have it, I don't want any more of it. That's their, that's their choice. It's their choice. And I'm not, I'm not here to judge. I am not here to put classifications of those that have it and those that don't have it. Do not even go there with me because I won't even talk to you about that. I'm not here to do that. That is not the point of teaching about the Holy Spirit. That is the devil's perspective of it, and I am not going to give him audience in that. I am not going to be accused of or I am not going to get in that role of saying, here, the haves and the have-nots. It's not what we talk about. That's not how we distinguish it. We talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about. I will admit right now that this is a very deep subject. It is not simple. It is difficult. It is complicated. It is confusing. (laughs) But it is the God that we serve. If I could understand everything about God, then he wouldn't be much of a God. If I could understand everything that he wanted me to have the first moment I received him, then I wouldn't have the hunger to dig in. I wouldn't have the desire to move on. So, but, but the progressionary growth of, of Christianity is just that. It's progressionary. It's one day after the next. And I'm going to get a little bit more today than I had yesterday. And I'm just going to keep growing in my salvation experience. And that's exactly what this is. So don't think that you have to have it all figured out right now. Don't think that you have to have all the answers because I'll tell you one thing, I don't. And I don't think that there would be any man that would stand behind this pulpit that has any credibility that says that he does. So we just keep digging in and we just keep learning more and we just keep growing more and we just keep asking more of God. More of God. Whether, you've, whether you were baptized when you were 12 or you were baptized today, we just keep growing more and more and more and more and we never stop. God is so vast. He's so big. He is so all-encompassing. There is no way I can contain Him. So I should never put a lid on it. I should never say I've matured to the point that I don't need any more. We always drive for more. We want more. We want more. We want more. There are those people that I think we need to refer to just a little bit more so that we understand that that we need to have the experience of the power of the Holy Spirit not in our lives, more so than the gift of tongues. Tongues are important, but they are not the end all. That's just the initial evidence. That's all it is, the initial evidence when it's coming to this. But there are going to be those that have that and that are going to live in a duplicate lifestyle. There are those that speak in tongues, and we all have, can think of experiences probably in our own world, in our own, in our own uh, circle of influence, that we know of people that have been speaking in tongues, that have experienced it, and lived a totally different lifestyle. And don't be surprised by that. Do not be surprised by that, and do not be taken back by that, because it, we are warned that that's going to happen Second Timothy chapter three verses one through five. It tells us that. So don't think this is a surprise to God, and don't you be surprised by it either. It says in for Second Timothy chapter three, the first five verses. It says, "But mark this, Paul speaking to Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money." boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Here's the key. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. That's exactly what that group of people I was just describing is. There are those here that speak in tongues and have no power. That's what the word says. Then it says what? Have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with them. So you have to be very careful. If you're speaking in tongues, if you have that desire to speak in tongues, if you are calling yourself a Pentecostal, then understand how important it is that you really, really, really exercise the power of that. And we're going to talk a little bit about that again more. Having a form of godliness are men that speak in tongues that deny his power, and they're all around us. Paul says, be careful. Is this confusing? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. This whole topic is confusing. But does it diminish the purpose and the need of a true Holy Spirit power relationship? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do not let the devil knock you out of the saddle on this one. Do not let him knock you out of the saddle when it comes to this, because it's confusing. So let's talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and then to live in the power of it. There's a number of things about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. First of all, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is a second experience separate from salvation. It is a second work. You are saved through the, through the drawing of the Holy Spirit. He draws you to Jesus. No man comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws him first. So at the moment of salvation, you have the Holy Spirit in your life, in your heart. The Holy Spirit is resident in you at the moment of salvation. But there's more. And there's nothing wrong with more, is there? There's nothing wrong with more. Here, if I was going to be, if I have a, a Visa card, I have the, the, the basic Visa card, which is the basic Visa card. The more I use that card, guess what? I get moved into the gold status card. And then I go to the platinum card. The more I use it, the more they recognize me as a valuable customer. I, even with the basic Visa card, I can spend I can buy with the the basic Visa card. No different than I can spend and buy with the gold card. But yet, we don't have any problem wanting more in some areas of our life. But why do we get a little offended when people say there's more of the Holy Spirit than what I got at salvation? Why do I get offended by that? Why does that bother me? It bothers a lot of people. I know. I've spoken to a few of them. It bothers a lot of people to think that there's more. There's more of the Holy Spirit than what happens at the moment of salvation. Now here, the moment of salvation, you're in heaven, by the way. You do not have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to go to heaven. Just so you know that. Everybody can can be be comfortable. If you're saved here but don't speak in tongues, you're still going to heaven. Nobody is saying, if I was to say that, I would be a false teacher because that's not what the Word says. But there's more to it. And that's what I'm trying to um, get us to the point of understanding that there's more to this person, the Holy Spirit. All right. The Holy Spirit is a tool that God uses to reach the lost through the use of supernatural acts. We'll talk about that and what happened in the the first couple chapters of Acts. The Holy Spirit is a communication medium between God and his saints in the church, namely through tongues and interpretations. We'll talk about that a little bit more later throughout this series as well. It is a personal prayer language that is given to every believer to better empower them to pray effectively and in God's perfect will. That's, that's huge. That is huge. That is so powerful. We'll talk about that more. The Holy Spirit is a guide, a counselor, a giver of wisdom. He's an encourager. He, he gives me the relationship with God that never leaves me as a believer. He is the full embodiment of God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son. He's leading us first to Jesus, and then Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, and he provides then my provision. And he is something that the devil fears. And understand something about the devil. The devil is, a is, is 100% against God. The devil has no um, compassion. He has no uh, ability to um, compromise one thing when it comes towards God. He is as anti as God as black is from white. From light is from darkness. So anything that gives glory to God, anything that draws people closer to Jesus, the devil is against. Anything. So is there any wonder then that there's so much confusion and misinstruction and misuse of the gift of the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is the thing that draws men to Jesus in the first place, If the Holy Spirit is the comforter and the encourager and the educator and the teacher, if the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible through the inspiration that he did through godly men, if the Holy Spirit does all that, is there any wonder why the devil is so much against him? Is there any wonder why the devil cannot stand the Holy Spirit? The devil is afraid of him. He hates him. He he, he detests him anything any bad word you can think of that's the way the devil thinks about the Holy Spirit So don't be confused then when the Holy Spirit then is given a bad reputation by the world Because the world is of the devil The world as we know it the worldly culture is of the devil and he will speak and they will speak everything They can bad about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the thing that draws people to God so understand that and don't be, don't be surprised by it. You know, a lot of what we say in the Bible, if you preach the Bible, if you read the Bible, if you believe the Bible, there's a lot that's said and done that's politically incorrect in today's world. Almost everything that's biblically based today, if you say it the way the Bible says it, because our culture is so far down the path towards evil and destruction, almost anything you say in the Word today is politically incorrect. And unfortunately, there are those even in the Christian circles that is politically incorrect when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Because people don't like to be challenged with more. They don't like to be challenged with more. They're comfortable in their salvation experience. And, you know, again, they're going to heaven. They're good people. I am not bashing anybody when I say that. I'm just trying to put the pe- I'm just trying to. There's a huge elephant in the middle of the room. And I'm not going to dance around the big elephant. And the elephant is the politically incorrect words about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's just recognize it. And let's understand that this big elephant—it is the room—and let's not dance around him. He's there. Let's recognize him, and let's just say that people that that choose not to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, they're Christians. They're going to heaven. For those that want more, there's more. All right. Who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Often, as Francis Chan points out in a book that he wrote, he's the forgotten God. He's the forgotten God. We think of the Holy Spirit most of the time, or the world thinks of the Holy Spirit when they think about him as as an it. Jesus is the Son, God is the Father, and the Holy Spirit is an it. What is an it? The Holy Spirit is not an it. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is as much of a person as God the Father is. He's as much of a person as Jesus the Son is. It's just that we can envision the Father. We can envision God in our mind as God with a a, a big man with a long flowing beard and a white robe sitting on a throne, and he is our Father. And then we can envision Jesus as a man in his mid-30s, you know, a well-built man, kind of like me, you know, stocky, big, strong, muscular, athletic, kind of like me. That's what Jesus is like, okay? So there, now you know what Jesus is like? <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Well, be, don't go with the hair stuff, John. If he would have gotten to be 52, he would have been just like me, Okay. <laughs> See that's how we can envision God the Father and that's how we can envision Jesus. But who is the Holy Ghost? What is a ghost? Has anybody seen a ghost? Casper, the friendly ghost. Okay? Little white blob like a sheet and he kind of floats around and he's but he's a friendly ghost. So we have a hard time grasping the concept of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit because we can't put him in a bodily form like a father or like a man, but the Holy Spirit is as much of a person as God the Father and Jesus the Son. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Genesis chapter 1 introduces when the Holy Ghost, when the Holy Spirit was evident. We often think that the Holy Spirit is a New Testament phenomenon. That he just came in the beginning, or he came at the end of Jesus' life. But the Holy Spirit was with God and of God from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Who is the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit. He was there in, in verse 2. He was there. So the Holy Spirit was part of the creation of the world. He was there. He has always been there. He is not just a New Testament thing that we talk about. He is part of God. He is the Father, the Son, and He is the third person, the Holy Spirit. We see many times in the Old Testament where He was active among the people. But he was active a little bit differently then than he is now. The Holy Spirit was and is the agent that typically interfaces with mankind. In the, in the Old Testament, there we saw many occasions where the Holy Spirit was active. We saw many occasions in the Old Testament where angels were present and angels interfaced with men. Many times or sometimes, that angel was actually the angel of Jesus. Okay, But most of the time... Most of the time, it was the Holy Spirit that interfaced with men. Even in the Old Testament days, we think the Holy Spirit is just for today. No, the Holy Spirit has always been. The Holy Spirit's presence has always been. So it's not just for today. But the difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit of the New Testament is the Holy Spirit of the Old Testament typically rested on individuals or groups of people, the prophets, the prophets. The judges, the priests, the normal man and woman didn't have the Holy Spirit in their lives in the Old Testament. You had to be a special purpose. You had to be God's special agent. And the Holy Spirit would fall upon them and, and taught them and prophesied through them. The priests were a special group of people. They came through the, the, uh, a special tribe of the Israelites that were, that were um, appointed and set apart by God to do godly things, to do priestly things. That all changed. That all changed when Jesus died on the cross. And I don't want to jump ahead too far, but that all changed. When the temple, when Jesus died and and the curtain that separated the outer court from the inner court, when that was torn from the top down, understand what that meant. The curtain was many, many inches thick of woven fabric, very, very tough. It was almost like a wall because it separated the presence of God. From the outer courts or the presence of men and that moment when Jesus died that curtain was torn from the top down like I would tear a piece of paper it would just it just tore okay that was the hand of God tearing the curtain meaning at that point in time all men have access to the presence of God not just the priests but the temple at the time of the Old Testament days was reserved for the priest. And the Holy Spirit only worked through special people. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 24 through 29, it reads, it tells us an example. I want you to believe the word, not just me. Numbers chapter 11, 24 through 29, it says, So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. Okay, the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with Moses. And he took the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he took the Spirit that was on him and put the Spirit on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not do so again. Let's continue. However, two men, whose names are Eldad and Medad, Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders. They were part of the elders' group, but they weren't with the group of elders, okay? But they were one of the elders. They were in that group of people. They did not go out to the tent, yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But here's, so this is, this is Moses seeing in the future. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his Spirit on all of them. I put the word all in there, by the way. But Put his Spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. This is a classic example. This is just one of many examples in the Old Testament where it showed the Holy Spirit being put on specific groups of men understand that these that these elders did not the holy spirit did not stay with them long because it said they prophesied but they did not do so again so the holy spirit fell on that group of elders 70 of them and then two of them were not even in the group they were in another part of the camp and because they're part of the elders and because the holy spirit is all places at all time even then he was omniscient and omnipotent and, and omnipresent. He's there all the time. He fell on even the two that weren't in the camp or in the group, in the tent. in the tent. And the reason that they fell on the, on the camp was because that was even more indication of God's power. So the Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit was all time around. He wasn't just for the New Testament people. And Moses knew that Moses saw that and by Moses saying this he was he was foretelling what the book of Joel really comes out and says and this is where it's prophesied for all people today the book of Joel chapter 2 verses 28 through 29 and afterward i will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams your young men will see visions even on my servants both men and women i will pour out my spirit in those days Now, what is Joel talking about? He's talking about the days, the times of today, the days that we're living in. Joel is foretelling that the Holy Spirit will purposely be given to all people who will receive. All people who will receive, not just the priests, not just the elders, not just a group of people that are gifted with the Holy Spirit. All people have the opportunity to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to get in later to the gifts of the Holy Spirit interpretations, which are different. But all people, all of us, that's everybody that raised your hand this morning, because I know you're all here because you raised your hand, all people have the opportunity to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, he would have said, I will pour out my Spirit on some of those people. But he said, even on my servants, both men and women, and we are all men and women in this building today, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now what's interesting here is, this is where it gets really kind of fun. And scary at the same time, because I know this is what scares people. If you look at the words, I will pour out my spirit. And then look at the words, I will baptize in something. Both of those words indicate motion. Both of, the, both of those words indicate Something is going to be invasive and something's going to get a little messy When you pour something into something and it overflows it gets messy It just Sticky Syrup I know we hate sticky syrup you pour it on pancakes. It gets messy You don't want to get your fingers in the syrup because it gets sticky It's terrible Sticky, messy. If you get baptized in something, you're baptizing, you're in water, you're completely emerging yourself, your hair's a mess. You come up, your clothes are sticking to you, your mascara's running for the guys that wear it. <laughs> it's running and it gets messy. So when the Holy Spirit's poured out, or you're baptized, expect it to get a little messy. And that's what people don't like. Because I'm I'm cool. I'm collected. I'm suave. I'm debonair. I am not going to get messy. The Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. You're going to get a little messy. And that's okay. That's what's fun. At the same time, that's what's a little bit scary. I understand that. Another example that where we see messy is in Psalm chapter 133, verses 1 through 3. Talks about oil running down Aaron's bead. How... Beard, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Keep that word unity in your mind for a minute. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. That's messy. Oil running down your head, in your beard, on your clothes. That's the God's blessing. That's his anointing. It gets a little bit messy, but it happens when brothers live together in unity. Where else did we, where else have we heard the word unity or in one accord? Acts chapter two, verse one, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Verse 2 And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's a little messy. (laughs) <laughs> that's, a little bit, that's a little bit gooey here all of a sudden. Now these people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're speaking with other tongues, they, they, they just kind of stumble out of the upper room. They're out in the middle of the streets and they're speaking in other tongues and they're totally out of control. Why? Because the God of the universe touched them. Because the God that created all of us touched them. Because the Holy Spirit came upon them and touched them. He poured out on them. He baptized them. It gets a little messy. It got so messy, in fact, that people thought they were drunk. There were 17, 14 or 17, I don't remember the number exactly, 14 or 17 different dialects, different languages that were um, evident in the city at that time because that was a time of Passover. And all the Jews from all over the different areas were coming to Jerusalem, and there were many languages and dialects, and they were there. And the people coming out of the upper room were speaking in perfect languages that they didn't speak before, and people could hear them. They could understand the words, even though the Jews in the upper room never spoke in those dialects or those languages. That's the gift. That's the baptism. That's the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. And that's one of the purposes for speaking in tongues, because what they were speaking of at that time was the glory of God. It was the goodness of God. They were evangelists in that realm to those that were in the city and they said how can they speak my language they were they were speaking of the goodness of god they were speaking in languages that other men understood that's one of the ways the holy spirit baptizes that's one of the res that's one of the reasons or evidences of tongues there are others, then, that are, that are tongues of angels or tongues of, 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 of no one. Under, they're mysteries. No man understands them. And that's a different version. We'll talk about that later, too. That's why I'm telling you this is a deep subject. This is deeper than what we can do because it's 5 to 12 already. So I know that we're not going to get through all this. But it's so important. I'm trying to lay a foundation and a groundwork that you understand the purpose of speaking in tongues that you understand the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that makes sense, that you can build upon it, that it's just not weird fanaticism. It's just not a bunch of weird Christian people getting up here dancing around and doing stupid stuff because that's not what it's about. It's so much more than that. When we can understand that that the God that created men, not just Adam, But let's talk about this. This is really important. Understand that when God created mankind, he created Adam and Eve. But in that moment of creation where he simply breathed a little puff of air into Adam's nostrils, he created billions of people. Billions of people that lived in this world today and have ever lived were all created with that little puff of God's air. Understand the significance and the power and the majesty and the awesomeness of this God. So then don't be surprised when He touches you that you get a little messy. That you get a little bit too much in that you can contain. And this doesn't mean you go fake it. It doesn't mean you go make a fool of yourself on your own. But when the Holy Spirit touches you, don't be surprised if, He gets you a little emotional because that is the God that created this world. And if He's got the power to to create like that, believe me, He's got the power to motivate you a little bit. Who are we that we think we can contain the God of glory in our body and never cry or never weep or never dance or never sing or never shout? Who are we to think that we can do that? Wow. Praise God that He touches us, and when He does, you feel the power of God. Thank you Jesus. Second Samuel chapter six, verses 12 through 16. Another example of King David. I love King David. We love King David in this church because King David had a heart after God's. King David knew how to repent. King David knew how to live a life that was after God's. Even in his sin, King David knew. And that's why we like King David. First, second Samuel, I'm sorry, second Ch- Samuel chapter six, verses 12 through 16, beginning at verse 12. I want to show you how even the most pious people, even the people in the highest level of control, get a little messy before their God. Now King David was told, "The Lord has blessed the household of Obed Edom and everything he has because the ark of God was in his house. Now I don't want to go into the long story here, but the ark, the King David at one time had tried to move the ark from the the enemy camp into his house, into Jerusalem. But he did it the wrong way the first time. He put the ark of God on a cart rather than holding it by poles as he was supposed to have. And when he had the ark on the cart and was trying to to take it to Jerusalem or to the, to his palace, um, remember it it. Uh, it fell, Or it started to tip. And one of the guys, Uzziah, one of the guys tried to write it. And when he touched the ark, it killed him like that. Because he touched the ark of God. He touched the power of God. So David got afraid at that point. He said, I'm not touching it anymore. So he left it in Obed, Obed-Edom's household. And when he left it there, David went home a few weeks later and recognized that this this household was being blessed because the ark of God was in this man's household. So David says, i got to get it. He's got that hunger that Riley was talking about. i got to get that ark of God in my house. I want God's blessing in my house. I want it in my possession. So he got hungry for the ark of God. He got hungry for the presence of God. So he said, I'm going to go get it. So this time he went to get, it, to get it, and he got it the right way. So now this is where we're at right now. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of obed edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Okay, now let's talk about this for a minute. He took six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Killed a bull. They killed it. They sacrificed it. All right, now here. Some people say, and I I wasn't there, (laughs) but I've heard it said that every six steps they killed another bull six more steps they killed another bull i don't know how many steps they had to take to get from oba to the house of david but you know what that's a little messy every six steps they killed a bull and they sacrificed the bull on the altar and they did it every six steps boom kill the bull sacrifice to god six steps kill the bull sacrifice to god That's what it takes sometimes. Chris, you said it in Sunday school. How much are you willing to give to get God? How much are you willing to give of your life to get God? Every six steps. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. (laughs) Monday, Tuesday. Every six steps, come to the house of God. Sacrifice something. I know that's just total coincidence as far as I know. I, I just thought about that. All right, let's continue. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all of his might while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of, Lord, of the Lord with shouts and a sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, there's a lot there too. We're not going to go into it. Watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. David. The king is so hungry. He's so hungry. He did everything he had to do to bring the ark home. He did everything he had to do to get the the ark home. And now he's so happy, he's rejoicing. The Spirit of God was resting on David. And David is leaping and dancing and, and wildly twirling and swirling and, and twisting around and, and making a complete fool of himself, according to Michael, his wife, the daughter of Saul, who we just recognized a few weeks ago that Saul did not have a repentant heart, despised him for that. Verse 20 and 23 through 23, when David returned home to bless his household, David is coming home. David is on a high. David has just brought the Ark of the Covenant home, and he is pumped. He's excited. He just had one of the most spiritually um, uh, uh, um, amazing things happen to him. He's ready to come home and bless his household. He wants to come home and bless everyone in his house. Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, huh? Good job. disrobing disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. She just completely took the air out of his sails. Boom. She goes, you fool. I despise you. Wow. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. (laughs) Ha, ha. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. How much are you willing to give to God? How much are you willing to give to God to get a piece of him? And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. She despised him. Are you despising the Lord? Are you despising those that get a little bit more excited than you get? Are you despising the move of the Holy Spirit in your church? I'm going to end it right here. I've got more to talk about. We'll pick it up next week. Listen, again, I, I, I don't have any idea how to end these services. I, I'm not here to create a hype. I'm here to educate and teach. I want the Word. I want the Holy Spirit to do His work. For those that are seeking the Holy Spirit, this is the best time over the next few weeks, months, I don't know how long, seek Him, continue to seek Him. It doesn't have to be on an altar. It doesn't have to be here today. Seek him, ask him, pray. Talk to me, talk to Doug, talk to Dick, talk to um, Sandra, talk to talk to Rod, Barb, on the number of others that I haven't even uh, Jill. Talk to people that have had the experience of speaking their language, speaking a heavenly language, and just let them help you. Let the Holy Spirit help you. You ask him, he will fill you. Talk to Scott. Just let these people come in your heart and your life. Riley, young people, you get around Riley. He's a good man. He knows the Holy Spirit, he's got him in his life. I'm so convicted in my spirit that we're losing it. This generation is not we're, we're, we're not, we're not there anymore, guys. We're losing it. We're losing it. Oh, Father, forgive us, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and lives. Lord, as we go home today, as we go to our homes, I pray that you continue to work in us, encourage us, teach us, instruct us, challenge us, Holy Spirit. Challenge us as we go. This is your work. This is your people. This is your home. And we just ask you to continue to lead and and, and direct us. Lord, create the hunger. Create the hunger in us. Father, that we would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, that we're not afraid to get a little messy, that we're not afraid to get a little bit wrapped up in who you are, that we're not afraid to know that there's more of you than what we can contain or that we'll ever contain. And Lord, that we just want more of you, more of you, and more of you until that day of perfection comes when you reach us and you can reach down and take us home. Oh, Father, stand with me if you would. Let's sing a song. We're going to sing a song. If you want to come in and pray, the altars are open. Stay with us. Let's sing the song. Let's not leave until the song's over. Let's sing the song. If you want to pray, come pray. If not, you're welcome to go home and dismiss. Thank you for being here this morning. We're going to continue on with this. The Lord's going to continue to lead us and guide us. Bless you in Jesus' name.